Broadcasting from the Stolen Droids Hangout and discussing everything that has been taking place in the geek world over the past 168 hours. Well, give or take. It's the Stolen Droids Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode number 168. I'm Schmitty. I'm Zoner. And I'm Zook. And this is the episode for the week of June... Oh geez, where are we now? June 16th. Yes. Right after Friday the 13th. Which is a full moon. Was a full moon. It was a full was. moon, right, because we're recording this on Thursday. The full moon's actually tomorrow night. Interesting little fact here. You know when the next time we're going to have a full moon on a Friday the 13th? No. October. Neither do I, but it's not for a very long time. <laughs> hey, we want to give a shout-out to our friends. We are brought to you by our friends at trickradio.net, cryptonradio.com, openbookaudio.com, and stitcher.com. Uh, we are also kept alive by our friends at 4814hosting, 48-14.com. The best internet hosts we have ever been able to find. These guys, I mean, they're rock stars. They're internet rock stars. And if you don't believe us, try them out. Go to 48-14.com. Check out their prices. Check out the option they can give you. These guys will do what it takes to keep you online. I promise you. I feel um, like there should have been a joke in there somewhere about hookers and blow. <laughs> oh, well, you know, to each their own. They will hook you up. Um <laughs> Well played, sir. So um, we are also uh, not brought to you by, but I wanted to bring up, we have partnered with 180fusion.com and the Utah Food Bank for the month of June. I know, we're just bringing it up. It's our fault. The month is already halfway done, but we would like every one of our listeners to go visit famineFighters.com. That's F-A-M-I-N-E-F-I-G-H-T-E-R-S, famineFighters.com. And help donate to the Utah Food Bank. Now, why is this important? Well, because everyone always gives to the food bank during like holiday months when it's winter, and that's good. But people are hungry year-round. They say that the, they believe the stats are five out of six Utahns don't know where their next meal is coming from, and three out of four kids in the state miss meals as well. Hold on. Five out of six? Yes. That's a lot. Well, that is, that's a whole lot. And you think, well, I know six people and we all know where our next meal is coming. Well, that means that somewhere else out there, there's five people who don't. I think that's how odds work. Isn't that how ratios work? I, think I never so. took statistics. <laughs> Math. No, if, or you, something. if you know, if you know six people that do know where their lunch is coming or their next meal is coming from, that just means that there are 30 people out there that don't know where. Oh, I see how that works. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Yes, that's a much more tragic number, too. Now, for every dollar that goes to the food bank, the food bank can turn that into four, almost four and a half pounds of food. So for money that wouldn't even get you a 20-ounce soda, you can feed a family. So again, go to Freedom Fighters, sorry, Freedom Fighters, yeah, (laughs) FamineFighters.com and donate today. Now, here's where this gets interesting for you listeners, okay, because I know we have the best listeners in the world. Donate at FamineFighters.com and then email me, Zook at StolenDroids.com. Zook is spelled Z-U-K-E. Um, or really email any of us. This will enter you into a drawing for a Star Trek miniature from Eagle Moss Limited. And I will we've be talked giving about away, them before. They are awesome. So Yeah, know. they're another one of our sponsors. They uh, they send out the, the super awesome photorealistic miniature ships that are made straight from the studio models from the Star Trek movies and TV shows. We have one for you if you donate. Now, can you donate more than once and get more than one entry? Yeah, I'll take that. I don't mind that at all. Just send me an email when you make the donation, and we will enter you into a drawing for it. Again, this goes till the end of the month. 
and we look forward to seeing the generosity of our awesome audience to come in. Now, we need to start this episode off as well with a update on last week's. We reported about how John Oliver on HBO, on his show, called out the FCC and then asked trolls everywhere to please go and just swamp the website. And sure enough, the website went down. The commenting system went offline entirely. It has since come to light. That wasn't from internet trolls. It was from internet hackers. Hackers dropped the comment system. Which is still kind of funny, in a way. Except for the fact that the commenting system, I want to say, is like 27 years old. It's super old. And what's worse is the fact that that means that legitimate commenters couldn't actually get in there to make their comments heard about what they think about the uh, the FCC's fast lane proposal for net neutrality. So that's but you could cool. do a DDoS attack. <laughs> yeah. You know, interestingly, I had to explain to someone who Ted Stevens was this week. Remember St- Senator Ted Stevens, uh, Republican from Alaska, the uh, infamous yeah. for the uh, <laughs> series of tubes comment about the Internet? Yeah. yeah. I didn't know he died shortly after that whole kerfuffle happened. Yeah, I think, I, think he, he, I think he was shamed to death. Well, no, he he, <laughs> he was indicted because it turned out he used federal funds for his house, and then he died in a plane crash. So not a great way to end a career all around. But that whole series of tubes argument, do you know what – he was talking about back then well okay it, to be fair no one knew what he was talking about <laughs> but what he was talking in regards to didn't it have something to do with uh online gambling no he was saying he was fighting for companies rights telecom companies rights to charge higher premiums to different companies to give them faster access to the internet which hmm that sounds an awful lot like a fast lane to me it does. This is the same fight we've been hearing about since series of tubes, dude, made everyone laugh. Well, the problem, though, with it was, you know, if his internet was stuck somewhere and someone else's internet was stuck somewhere, they couldn't get their own internets to work together because of series of tubes or whatever. You you wouldn't Nobody- get your internet until 5 p.m. And, and that email, urgent email was stuck on that internet. Yes. Right, right. Yeah. He, it was good to see he was arguing for something that he has such a firm grasp of. Indeed. Well, the problem is, is that people still don't seem to have gotten any better about their grasp of the internet. And this discussion is up again. It's ridiculous. It's, it's completely ridiculous. How is it that people have no clue about some of this stuff that we deal with on an everyday basis? I, I don't understand that. We saw a lot of that this week with, some of our headlines where, I mean, the press has yeah. no clue what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Let's start off with those, actually. Let's jump ahead. Let's start off. Yeah, let's jump right in. Okay. To so, the hacks. Um, Get the we were going. <laughs> <laughs> now, we had uh, headlines hit us early this week that a supercomputer passed the Turing test for the first time. Now, the Turing test, if you're unaware, is a very loose set of tests that basically see if an artificial intelligence or computer can fool people or a panel of judges that they're talking to an actual human being. Yeah. Now, in to, order to, to pass quote, the unquote, test, uh, yeah. that 30% of the judges have to be fooled, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think 30% was the number. 
Yeah, 30% is the number. And they're saying that this computer, the supercomputer, did it. It fooled 35 or 33% of the judges by pretending to be a 13-year-old boy. Wow, that's creepy. <laughs> yeah, really creepy. Um, here's the problem with this entire thing. And, and, and listeners sent this in to us as well, wondering, oh, no, has AI gotten so smart? Do we need to start worrying about our overlords now? And, and the f- press went to town with this. <laughs> here's the reason why this is all bunk. One, it wasn't a supercomputer. It wasn't a computer. It was a chatbot. Running on someone's laptop. <laughs> yeah. It's a scripted chatbot. Uh, red flags went off in me when I when I first heard about this. I immediately went to try to find this. Uh, what was it, Eugene? I can't find his name. Uh, Eugene Gustman. Um, and within like two questions, I could tell that it was a chatbot. There's nothing special about it. If this fooled 33 percent of of the judges. Those 33% are morons. <laughs> Did it just type ASL? <laughs> no, it will. Well, for one, the, the first tip off was that it answered immediately. Everyone knows that if you write a decent chatbot, you need to have it wait a little bit, you know. We humans can't respond that quickly. And second of all, the questions were very boilerplate, very strung out, and didn't even answer your question. <laughs> so I don't know how these people were fooled. Well, and it goes, this article that we have here on TechDirt goes on to say that there was another chatbot that a couple of years ago passed, quote unquote, passed the Turing test by 59%. It was also a chatbot script. Okay. Also, they gamed the rules. Nowhere in the Turing test does it say you can say, well, just it's a 13 year old kid. Okay. 13 year olds can talk like idiots. Yeah. Okay. That's just so kind of how it is. So can 40 year olds. So can 40 year olds. But that's like saying, um, well, the person on the other end of the computer is a two-year-old and it's just slapping letters into there and it can't read or anything. And they'll say, Oh yeah, sure. That looks like a two-year-old. Sure. Yeah. hundred percent pass. Yeah. Uh, you can't set things like that. Uh, the rules of the Turing test have changed so many times that it doesn't even really count. It's one of those tests that don't actually apply anymore. And if you don't believe that it's think of this, the Turing test is 65 years old. 65 years. You guys remember when about, oh, what was it? It was like 2002 or so when all of a sudden we couldn't export computers to half the country anymore because the rules uh, concerning the export of supercomputers were written back in the 70s. Oh, yeah. Half the the country or half the world? Half the world. Half the countries. Okay. All the computers made after 2002 meet the qualifications for being a supercomputer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, don't forget uh, the uh, the 256 um, SSL encryption that was built into Internet Explorer. I think five used to be like military. It was a military <laughs> secret. Okay, so That's the Turing great. test is kind of dated. It doesn't really work for us anyway. But then, then, and this is the real kicker. And if I, I don't expect the general population to know this, but tech journalists should. The entire test was put together by a gentleman by the name of Kevin Warwick. Now, you may not recognize him by name, but let me tell you about some other headlines he has under his belt. Many years ago, and I remember that reading this in Newsweek, he became the world's first cyborg. Yeah, he implanted a, a chip in his arm, basically. Yeah. Now, was the chip wired to anything? No. Yeah. Uh, did it have a power source? No. Did it do anything? Yeah. No. (laughs) 
did it, it made headlines. Where are you getting your data? The the chip in his arm um, was set to a uh, a relay that was connected to his wife's hand. Anytime his ha- wife's hand was grasped, he would feel that feedback. Now maybe that wasn't until later on, but uh, but that's uh, that's what I've heard about. So sorry if our information is crossed. <laughs> Well, okay, let's follow the, the let, let's follow the link here. Uh, he's implanting a new chip in himself with his wife that will allow them to share feelings together. The implication, and I'm quoting here, the implication could be never faking an orgasm again. <laughs> this guy is supposed to be taken seriously. Okay. A cyborg is defined as an organism that uses an artificial tool to augment their abilities or or capabilities. Guess so what? That I'm a cyborg because I wear glasses. Yes. People who have prosthetic limbs, cyborgs. Pacemakers. Old man cyborgs. Yeah. Um, I remember originally that... Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm running on memory here because I remember when he implanted that chip and the details were so scarce that he basically was getting no information off of that. But the press went wild with it. This guy is the world's first cyborg. He is the future. And he's done this. Well, Every couple of years, he comes out with a new series of headlines that the tech world goes nuts for. And it's like, look, people, if he was really that high up in computer technology and cybernetics and whatnot he wouldn't be relying on you for his press. Well, let me ask you this. If he's got a chip that's going to allow him to feel his wife's orgasms. No, no, just emotions. Oh, just emotions. Supposedly the chip only helped him feel her emotions. For some reason, he made then the quote saying orgasms, thereby showing what he was really interested in. Because that right there, I mean, you're likely to explode if you're experiencing two people's orgasms at the same time if you're good that's like fatal isn't it i don't think that's supposed to happen it's a small chip in your arms honor <laughs> the most he's going to get is he's going to pull an am radio station <laughs> yeah i'm gonna I'm just i I'm going to go out I'm just thinking of the he's children gonna, here. He's going to have to have the chip in a different location if he's going. I can tell she's happy. <laughs> I'm pulling radio, Republican AM talk radio. <laughs> oh, crap. It's, it's the Spanish station again. She's pissed. <laughs> I, look, people, if you're going to be a tech journalist, if you're going to report on the news as it pertains to tech, the least you can do is do some kind of background research. But no, because we had another headline happen. I think just yesterday, wasn't it? Yes. Tweet uh, Tweet Deck, the very popular Twitter client. I love it. I live by it. Went down. And in fact, I saw the headline. I, I left my computer. I came back to my computer and unlocked it. And just as I'm seeing this headline pop up in all my news readers and you guys sending it to me, my Tweet Deck starts to crash. <laughs> A script got sent out. Uh, and it exploited a little vulnerability within TweetDeck's programming that turned it into a self-propagating and self-replicating tweet. It went out to all your followers. You automatically retweeted it. You didn't have a choice. I saw an error happen on my TweetDeck and immediately went to shut it down because I knew something was about to happen, and I couldn't. I retweeted it. 
I couldn't avoid it. I, I yeah, knew something was wrong me. as soon as I got a tweet from Zook, and it and it was uh, some uh, JavaScript code. Because you and, know I don't script. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that's some pretty good JavaScript code, Zook. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, wait a minute. That's programmed to hit the retweet button. He he was cross-site script. <laughs> so immediately I looked into it, and and sure enough, TweetDeck had taken their site down like seconds after that. It was pretty word, quickly. Word to the wise, if ever I start posting genius-level code, it wasn't <laughs> me. <laughs> but so... Now, let's get Schmitty upset here. Um, <laughs> I know what you're going to say. It's not going to work, because I've already been through all the upset. Well, this worm. No. This worm that went out there... <laughs> and it's this AI worm, and it and it, it fooled fifty nine percent of tech journalists, thereby passing the journalism test. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that that was the most upsetting thing is all these headlines were saying that TweetDeck has been hacked. Uh, there's a worm going around TweetDeck. Um, a Trojan. A Trojan. I, I never saw the word Trojan. I saw I the word saw Trojan. The word, yeah. I, I saw the word virus. Um, and so it just goes to show how. Um, ignorant some of the uh journalists are even tech journalists there are there were tech sites i mean gizmodo's website even said the word hacked um and so i mean people can hack TweetDeck through other means but this wasn't a hack so that's that's what now let, let's let's clarify here what is an exploit then because this was an exploit right Okay, the next point is, uh, basically, TweetDeck had... Okay, I'm not going to say basically, because I'm going to go into a deep explanation here. Essentially. <laughs> Less than basically. TweetDeck itself had, Intermediately. A weakness in its, had a weakness in their code where it didn't escape out characters like less than and greater than. So if you were to put a script tag in your tweet, TweetDeck would, treat, TweetDeck would um, treat that as a regular script tag as if it were programmed straight into TweetDeck. So by encapsulating your tweet within script tags, it thinks, oh, this is JavaScript, I have to run this. And so you could put any valid JavaScript in a tweet, and TweetDeck, TweetDeck will run it. Now, the, 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 the basic, it, 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 forgive, forgive me if I'm wrong on this, but it sounds like the basic, since you gave us the, the higher level answer there, is oh. that TweetDeck wasn't built to be smart enough to tell where its own programming ended and your tweet began. Yeah, simply. Yep. And so this has, I mean, been, this has been used before. Yeah, this has been used on many sites before. Facebook um, was one of the big ones where, uh, and th this one was called out by someone and Facebook ignored it. And so they hacked, he hacked Mark Zuckerberg's um, profile. With what was it, it, like a year and a half ago? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we reported on it. I remember, same thing. I remember a couple of years ago, before we even started the podcast, I believe, when I had an iPhone, and one of the best ways to jailbreak an iPhone was to go to the website Jailbreak Me, and it downloaded a PDF to your phone, which jailbroke the phone, and it did it the same way. The In the header of the PDF was script, and the iPhone was so dumb, it didn't know what was a document and what was actual programming, and so even though it was opening up a document, it went, oh... I see programming code. Well, I'll just execute that because why not? Yep. <laughs> and, and it was enough to actually break the entire DRM of the phone. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, a lot of people were asking, you know, how dangerous is this? Um, well, for, for one, the tweet that was retweeted 
38,000 times within a minute, um, was, was very benign. The, it was a hard worst, the worst it did was retweet itself 38,000 times. Um, but the capability of this, of this, uh, exploit was that someone could possibly have hijacked, um, account information from the page or had, they could inject script into the page to sniff, uh, where you're clicking next, or, you know, if you click into your account settings, it can start sniffing the HTML that uh, comes out of that. So the, the capability of this kind of exploit, um, can bring a lot of, a lot of heartache to a lot of people. And so I, I don't think we ever got to that. And, and, uh, and thankfully, uh, TweetDeck quickly fixed it. So, um, I, I think we're all safe on, on that side. Now, do you think that this was, something that some somebody was just trying to do to see if they could do it or do you think that this was maybe a dry run per se for something a little bit more malicious to see how tweet deck would respond how fast it would propagate it's hard to say it, it looks like they knew exactly what they were doing um so they probably tried it out uh tried a few things out beforehand uh, it, it seemed like Look, I mean, looking at the code, it looked like they knew exactly what they were doing. It's not like they were, you know, just playing around and and hey, let's see if this will work. But it it looked like it came from someone that knew exactly what the exploit was going to do. Now, a good way, if you want to know, well, how can I tell if I have a virus? How can I tell if this is an exploit? How can I tell, you know, whatever? I often like to compare computers and computer systems to living things, and I know that sounds a little bit weird. But the, the, the analogy works quite often. A virus, a computer virus or a computer um, trojan or anything like that is a lot like a virus would be to your body. It's something that gets into your system and forces something to work in a way that it wasn't supposed to work with and it screws things up. Okay, It changes the behavior of something. An exploit is, no, no, that was the behavior of something. It just wasn't supposed to be used in that manner. So a virus would be like, you know, catching a cold. An exploit would be like someone shooting a water gun up your nose and you don't like that very much. <laughs> they just simply exploited a flaw. That was like, that, that'd be like a DDoS attack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, just like a, another flaw that was released this week or found this week, uh, just in time for iOS 8, they have found another lock screen flaw in iOS 7. Another one. Apple like has one. to have, yeah, it's the third one of just this version of iOS. They've fixed that lock screen so many times, it's ridiculous. This one, um, this exploit happens when you lock your phone, and if someone else, say, say I had an iPhone, and I lock it, and I put it down, and Schmitty's right there, and I get a notification come in. Schmitty can immediately pull down the notification center, turn off my data, thereby cutting off all data access to the phone, pull down the notification center again, click on the notification that just came in, and somehow the phone, in all its wisdom, will bypass any security I've put in there and take him right into that application. Hitting the home screen when he's... turn on the data, yeah. Yeah. um, Going back to the home screen takes you back to the lock screen instead. It doesn't do it that way. But that's just kind of... It's like, what's the point of the lock screen? (laughs) And yet somehow, somehow, Apple's still being touted as more secure for businesses than BlackBerry. Yeah. 
which either means people don't know about these little exploits or BlackBerry has really fallen. <laughs> yeah, and being a developer, I can understand the the reason for this oversight. Um, they had a bit of code to, you know, if it's in airplane mode and you try to check your email, it's going to ask you to turn airplane mode off again. And so that brings up that dialogue. Um, so it, it was an oversight to think that, oh, if, if we're going to ask them to turn on, turn back on their data, they're probably not going to be in the lock screen. So let's just pull it up anyway. I, I mean, not that they, that was their thinking, but they didn't. No, no, I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So like a lot of times bugs in code will come about just, just because we never even thought the user was going to use it that way. It's really difficult to think of all the different ways someone could break it. And that's what QA is for. So we can't blame the developers. We have to blame the QA in this situation. When I, when I uh, run a test at work, when I'm testing out new software, a new type of hardware, I select a, uh, a focus group, a test group. And I tell them, okay, here it is. Here's how to use it. Now break it. Yeah. I need you to do everything you can to try and break it. And then I need to tell you to tell me how you did that. You have to be careful how you ask users, when you ask users to break it. Because I asked someone to do that once, and they're like, seriously? I'm like, yeah, try to break it. And he picked up his keyboard and started smashing it against the desk. <laughs> well, I said, no, no, no. a little bit special then. <laughs> Break, I mean, <laughs> break the web form. Break the, not, not the keyboard, break the web form. <laughs> you know, I do, in my job, we're constantly asking testers to put various products, you know, through the, through the ring or whatever they can do. And we inevitably always have somebody, well, what if we, what if it actually breaks? What if we drop it? What if we do such and such and it actually breaks? That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> That's good information. We're sorry, but the kitten did not survive the microwave test. <laughs> no. And now I have a dirty microwave. <laughs> Do you still need it back? Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> kitten salsa. Oh. <laughs> There's a title if ever there was one. Oh, that's horrible. So, in other interesting news, switching gears from the exploit area and the hack area and the bad tech headlines area, um, the NSA was asked by a federal court to stop deleting user data related to a specific case they were going through. They needed evidence. They needed certain things. And they had to tell the NSA, stop destroying the data. Therein came a problem. The NSA was forced to acknowledge they can't stop destroying it because they don't know where it is. Now, they basically take an archive of the entire Internet. That has been established, right? But they don't keep that archive for too long. Can you imagine how much storage it would take to keep a back catalog of the entire Internet that ever was and ever will be and every little change made to it across the entire world? Yorubites and Yorubites. That's a lot of porn. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 there aren't enough storage devices in the world to hold that much. So they have to get rid of it after a while. Now, I'm not going to claim I know when they get rid of it, but they just have to get rid of it. The problem is, is as it turns out, even though they have access to all the information in the world, they aren't particularly good at being able to sift through that information to see what they have. Which is probably why we are still able to fly. <laughs> why well, they let, let you me, back in the country, yeah. Let me clarify this for they you. They let me back it's in the country. Not that they can't sift through it, because um, they can access the data 
anytime they want. They know exactly what they have. But the problem is they don't know exactly where it's stored. They have thousands of servers with databases on them. And so it, they, they can look it up and they know they have the data, but they don't know exactly which server it's on, which database it's on. And that therein is the problem. They don't know exactly where to go to take that data out. They don't know which server to shut down to remove that data. They'd have to shut down all their servers. I, I like to think of this like my kid's room. <laughs> and, yeah. and I can say that because my kid's rooms have been horrible this, this week. But uh, my, my kids will be sitting there in the middle of their room. And it is a disaster. And they know they own Legos. They own, they know exactly which Lego sets they own. They know where the Lego sets should go when they're cleaned up, but they haven't cleaned up in months. And so they look at this squalor all around them that comes up to their knee, and they don't know where their Lego set is in all this. <laughs> it's it could everywhere. be partially <laughs> over here. It could be entirely over there. It could be spread in an equal amount, like a gas, everywhere else. <laughs> yeah. that's how it was in my house yeah, this so, and that's Guesses? kind of the problem they know what they have and they know they have it they just don't have the first clue where it is yeah and that that poses a problem because they've been they've had this clause for a long time since the 90s i think that they had to get rid of data after a certain amount of time but if they have no way of indexing it or finding out where it's stored that means they haven't been removing it right Supposedly. That means they have been removing it. They just don't have know they? where it is. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Are they just shift deleting or are they moving it to a giant recycle bin where it just sits for the next Because everyone years? forgets to empty the recycle bin. People, you have to remember this. I always use shift delete, so that's... I do too. Occasionally, though, it's kind of funny. I'll I'll look and I'll say, oh, I haven't cleaned out my recycle bin for a while. There'll be like six gigs of crap in there. <laughs> Look, now you have six gigs free. <laughs> Congrats. I know. I know. It's like, yes, don't need to buy a new hard drive just yet. <laughs> okay, into news that kind of upsets me, actually. I mean, I hmm. well, let's get into it here, and then we'll, we'll talk about my feelings on it. Comcast has decided in Houston, Texas, um, and it actually just started happening earlier this, this week, they're going to start rolling out a new feature in their devices that turns your wireless router into a into a public hotspot. They do this in Utah. Oh, do they? They do it oh. in Utah. If you're driving around, you can find these Xfinity hotspots all over the place. There's two or three in my neighborhood. That's bad. So the idea here is is that suddenly your router will create a new SSID called I think it's just Xfinity. Xfinity Wi-Fi hotspot. Xfinity, Xfinity Wi-Fi. And if you are an Xfinity customer, you can go to that hotspot and log in with your customer information, and you have free Wi-Fi. And you know what? That's pretty cool. Because we all want Wi-Fi everywhere. Let's be honest. One way, one day, we will have free Wi-Fi everywhere, and that'll be kind of a, a, a an ultra paradise. However, I don't like the idea of you having my Wi-Fi for free. <laughs> You know, I'm already having problems trying to get my full download download speed. I don't need other people on it as well. Good point. Now, they go in to say it shouldn't really affect people, which is Comcast's way of saying we haven't thought about it enough to see if it will affect people, (laughs) so we're just going to say this. It's not bad enough that everyone 
everyone on your block that has Comcast um, is getting throttled during peak times, now everyone outside on the streets are also going to be hitting that throttle as well. <laughs> What's really making me wonder about this, I mean, truly wonder, and this is why I don't know how I feel about it. Okay, so sure, free Wi-Fi everywhere, public Wi-Fi. I shouldn't say free because someone's paying for it. Great. So I'm an Xfinity customer, and I'm going to pull up outside your house, log in, and I'm going to download some Metallica. I'm going to make horrible threats against public figures. I'm going to send in bomb threats to schools. You know, any sort of things you don't do online because they can track you by IP unless you're under someone else's IP. Right. Well, they, they came out with an update saying that this would not, um, this would not implicate you if someone did that because, well, for one, the person joining the Xfinity Wi-Fi hotspot already has to be an Xfinity customer. Because they there's no way to in. fake that. Right. Right. They're, they log in with their credentials and now everything they do through that hotspot is pinned to them. Now, whether or not, um, they get a new IP address or not, uh, I'm unsure of, but, uh, as the ISP, Comcast is able to track exactly who's doing that. Yeah, it's coming from your IP address, but it's this other user that was using the Xfinity Wi-Fi. So I, I, I can understand that implicate that. Yeah, I can understand that, but, uh, it's not like people can't spoof that information. No, you're right. But I, if someone's going to spoof that information, they would have already been doing it with, before this Xfinity Wi-Fi hotspot. So your point is moot. <laughs> now, what's the likelihood here of somebody connecting to one of these hotspots being able to, I don't know, navigate their way through the series of tubes and onto your server uh, onto your network. On well, they're saying it's not it's possible at all. Your network it's sandboxed. So I call bull okay. on that because I used to go war driving through networks. Um, I used to be able to drive around neighborhoods and get into people's information and use their internet. Um, you can't sandbox it. Per- I take that back. You can sandbox it by not letting anyone onto your Wi-Fi. <laughs> mm-hmm. By the very fact of letting someone else onto the Wi-Fi, it's just opened the door. Well, you you can sandbox it if the Wi-Fi itself is built to do that, if it's built to handle two different networks. And, and the reason why I believe this will have that capability is because in order to enable this, you will need a new Xfinity router that has this capability. And so if you if you own an old Xfinity router you will not be able to enable this Wi-Fi hotspot. Uh, it was my understanding that, that, no, this was something that was going out to existing Xfinity routers of a certain brand, of a certain type, through firmware update. Yeah, if you had a super old one, then no. But if you had one of their standard ones, then yes. Now, here's mm-hmm. where the question becomes really interesting, okay? You shot down my sandbox. You've shot down the whole hacking the Pentagon thing. But many people not just on Comcast, but on CenturyLink and any other ISP, pay an additional fee every month to rent the equipment. Why should you continue to have to pay that rental fee for equipment that they're co-opting for additional profit? And what if you paid outright for your equipment? Are they going to pay you for the use of your equipment? See, in my mind, this should be an option to me. It should be... It should be something like, okay, I've decided that I don't want to pay my rental fee. 
Xfinity in turn has said, okay, well, to offset that charge, we are going to enable this public Wi-Fi from yours. Or you could say, I don't want public Wi-Fi from mine. I will pay the fee or I will buy it myself. You know what I'm saying? There should be an option there. It seems yeah, well, really shady for them to be able to, you know, double dip into the, the pool this way. It's Comcast, though. Do you expect anything less? I, I did I did confirm that it is uh, a, a different set of hardware, a different router that they sent out to you, and it is an option to turn on, and it's off by default. So we know Mark Zuckerberg we're seeing right. it. <laughs> um, now, it sounds like since, since it's off by default, they probably let you know, you know, if you turn this on, you might get some sort of kickback or something. I'm still reading to find that out, but... Uh, well, see, and I'm reading an article here that says Comcast is automatically enrolling all Xfinity customers into the new program. Okay. We'll have to figure it out. <laughs> but uh, It sounds like there's a lot of contradictory information out there, and that could just be due to poor journalism. On if the, you're an yeah. Xfinity, <laughs> and I'm quoting the article here, if you're an Xfinity customer and don't want your router to become a public Wi-Fi hotspot, you can opt out by calling Xfinity or going to the preferences section on the account page of Comcast website. So yes, there that is would, a way to opt out, but it is not the default. By default, yeah. Okay. So they are Zuckerberg. <laughs> That's like a unit of measurement now. <laughs> you can gauge morality. How many Zuckerbergs is this? This is a nine Zuckerberg. You know, Mother Teresa, like a negative five Zuckerberg. Yeah. No. I, <laughs> I don't it. even think you can call it. Uh, you can't measure that in Zuckerbergs. It's like a, well, that's just a different unit. That's a Mother Teresa unit. <laughs> that's a Teresa. <laughs> you, you just, yeah, you, you just can't use the word Zuckerberg to describe Teresa. It's a, it's, she's a mirror Zuckerberg. She has a goatee. I, mean, yeah, I was just going to say she has a goatee. <laughs> okay. That went off the rails pretty fast there. It's how um, we roll. Hey, uh, here's a fun one for you. And I don't think all the facts are in on this one either, but Google has just decided to acquire a new company. Well, no big surprise there. They're doing that all the time. The company in question, Skybox Imaging. Skybox Imaging uses satellite imaging. They have their own fleet of satellites. And okay. Really, high res <laughs> really, really super high resolution satellite imagery. Now, For Google okay. Earth. The obvious thing here is to say, well, yeah, Google Earth. That makes sense. Now they don't have to buy satellite time from other satellite providers. Now they don't have to wait for certain ones to go in there. They can run a scan of any area on Earth they want to within technical limitations whenever they want. They can update their maps as needed. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, however, I'm fairly certain that's not the only thing that they purchased in this. I mean, that, that can't be the only reason they'd buy a satellite company for $500 million in cash. No. Well, Skybox, they also do imaging from uh, planes, uh, hot air balloons. Um, I can't remember what else I read, but it, they have a lot of different ways to take uh, imagery of the Earth. Let so, me put it in a, another light. And I guess I know I'm putting my conspiracy tinfoil hat on, and that's not usually my role here on the show. But let me reread, reread this headline. 
Google acquires a satellite Im- a spy imagery company for $500 million. I mean, that, that <laughs> Skynet now has a satellite network at its disposal. Yeah. Yeah, that's how it's going. And, you know, with, with that supercomputer passing the Turing test that we discussed at the beginning of the show, <laughs> we're screwed. <laughs> They're going to upload an exploiting worm to the satellite. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It's a Bruce Willis disaster movie. (laughs) That's what we're living in now. Or worse Um, yet, a Sylvester Stallone disaster movie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now for some good news. Tesla, um, that wonderful mad scientist electric car company who we all love and we all wish we could buy their cars, they made good on a promise that CEO and founder Elon Musk made a couple days ago, a promise that I have to admit I heard. I'm like, yeah, no way that's happening. He said that he believes in open source, and he wants to see about the possibility of opening up the patents for public use. Now, Elon Musk is a pretty crazy genius. I mean, he is just... He's yeah, diabolical, he's, and he is he's the quite father of SpaceX. He 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 brought us the he open sourced the Hyperloop. So yeah, yeah. Well, just today he made good on it by dropping I think all of Tesla's patents into Creative Commons, pretty much. Now you do have to use a licensing agreement if you decide to use any of these. But he literally just handed all of Tesla's development over to any car company that wants to use them. What do you want to bet the General Motors Fs it up? Well, and here's here's the <laughs> diabolically genius thing about this, okay? Right now, all the other car companies out there are trying to say, well, we can't do what they do. You know, that's their thing. They have patents. We can't do that. So we have to release these these half cars, these halfway electric cars that can't do quite what this other one does. He has literally just removed all excuses they have. Look, here, this is the technology we use. It's standard now. Everyone has free access to it. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Cause you know, I get tired of the excuses from the, uh, from anyone really. Now, There's, if, if you want to do something, then do it. Find a way to do it. Otherwise, quit your complaining and saying that you, it can't be done. Now, okay. So why would he do this? Now, on one hand, he's freaking rich. I mean, he's he's rich, rich, rich. <laughs> but not everyone who works for his company is. And Tesla's had problems trying to sell. They have that kind of direct dealer showroom style sales model that has been banned in multiple states. Yeah. So it's not like the entire company is rolling in money, right? In his quote, he says, and I love the blog entry here because the blog is titled, um, All Our Patent Are Belong to You, which shows you what kind of person we're dealing with here. <laughs> A nerd. Yeah, I love it. Uh, but he points out that when he first started in business, he really believed in patents. He, he believed what they meant because it meant that he was protected, that something he developed remained his. But in recent times, and we all know what he's talking about here, people, In recent times, patents have been used in a really abusive kind of way. They've been used to stifle innovation. And that he now believes that innovation is not necessarily 
determined by who holds the patents, but by who makes the most use of the technology and information available. And patents have been used to stifle that. Look, you may have all the innovation, you may have the drive, you may have the ideas, but that doesn't matter. We have the patents, and if you try to do anything, we'll sue you. We're not going to do anything with them. We're just going to sit on them. We know these as patent trolls. Okay. He says he wants to see the world move past that to go right back to the, look, here's the information. Everyone has it. The next industry leader is going to be the person who can use this to the best effect. And it's not just electric car patents we're talking about here. In case you're unfamiliar with it, the Roadster, the Tesla S, I should say, um, got, I think, five out of six stars on the National Highway Safety Rating. The machine that was designed to test crush uh, the, the crush test in case your car rolls over or something lands on it. The car broke the machine. The car's roll cage was so strong. It broke the machine that was specifically engineered to crush cars. That's what happens though. When you use adamantium in your <laughs> almost designs. Yeah. The entire roll cage is unobtainium. That's the equivalent of like a car at one of those monster truck rallies. that's supposed to get crushed by Bigfoot going up and crotch punching Bigfoot as it goes over. I like your analogy. <laughs> I don't know if you can crotch punch a truck. If it's a Michael Bay truck, you can. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. It wouldn't hurt the truck, though. <laughs> no. It, it, I don't know. Maybe. I named it after Bigfoot. Um, I've been listening to your guys' other show too much. Can you tell? <laughs> we have talked a lot Bigfoot. about Bigfoot lately. Yeah. yeah. But so this, I think, is just super, super awesome. I don't know if the other companies are, and I'm sorry, this is going to sound like I'm being crude, but I don't know of any other word for it. I don't know if the other companies are ballsy enough to do anything with it. Gutsy. I could have said gutsy. I'm sorry. (laughs) I like ballsy. But you know what I'm saying? I I wonder, I mean, you look at all the other companies, um, electric cars, uh, and they've pretty much come up with kind of a standard for charging their vehicles, right? There, There's a standard there. But it's not very efficient. Um, Tesla, Tesla's supercharger is like 20 times more efficient than any of these other chargers. It's not standardized. Um, At all. For no. anyone, for anyone else uh, that has a non-Tesla electric car, they cannot use, they, they cannot take advantage of that supercharger. Um, so you not have- Not just the charging the- capabilities though. I mean, you take a look at the Chevy Volt performance wise mm-hmm. against the Tesla S. Yeah. It, the Tesla has no smoke a volt. No contest. Yeah. And so I, I, I want to see, and I hope this happens, that, that a standard will be made either between the two of them or that everyone will adopt the Tesla supercharger. Whether or not they adopt the rest of the technology is up to them, but at least get this awesome supercharger technology that has revolutionized electric cars. Yeah. Well, you look at it, you look at like cell phones as an example, how many different proprietary chargers there were. Every single phone you had, had a different charger, regardless of whether they were both Nokia's or both Motorola's, they had different chargers. Yeah. And that's, you know, having it be standardized to the, what is it? The micro USB. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's brilliant. It's, it's amazingly efficient. Are you saying and you want to charge your car with a micro USB? <laughs> that would <laughs> take, take two a years. while. That would take a while. See, what I want, and I, I, I don't care which, I almost don't care which car company gives this to me, but I judge an electric car, or any car really, 
about how long it takes me to get to Vegas. That sounds kind of funny, but you have to remember where we live. We're in the Wasatch Front here. It's five to six hours to Vegas from where we all live. Okay? It's just out of range of most vehicles' tanks. Mm-hmm. Okay, my brother-in-law drives a, a diesel VM, uh, VW. He can get there in one tank. Okay? Um, it still costs him as much as my two tanks, but he can get there in one tank. I want to be able to make the drive from here to Vegas in the same time and with the same level of ease as I can drive there now. Right now, even a Tesla, which is super awesome, it's still outside of its range. You would have to stop and charge, which adds time at least once, at least once. And even saying you could get there, let's say the technology expands well enough that you can get there on a single charge. Does that mean you're dead as soon as you get there and you have to charge before you can go around town? It's, it's that yardstick that I'm holding to them. It has to be able to drive six hours. It has to be able to drive roughly 400 miles. That's fair. And that's where I think hybrids come in. Uh, take a Tesla and put a small five gallon gasoline tank on it just for those occasions where you're out of battery and you need that extra, you know, 20 miles or whatever. I'm just asking for a Porsche 918. I mean, <laughs> is that really so sweet. much to ask? Those things are really sweet. That's a hybrid. <laughs> a hybrid with a freaking jetpack on it. You can go full electric. You can go full gas. You can go sport hybrid. You can go regular hybrid. That thing is sweet. Go full retard. <laughs> you, can go, you can go full melt your face off. Yeah. Okay. Um, we need to hurry through these last couple ones, but yeah. Okay. Good on Elon Musk. We'll see if the other car companies follow suit. I highly doubt they will. Uh, I don't think they have the courage to. I don't think they either. Um, they'll use some kind of excuse. Anyway. So Toshiba has introduced a new MRAM cache. Um, yay. Now this sounds like the driest, most boring, geekiest science ever, but here's why this is awesome. It's a new type of random access memory that'll be used by your CPU cache on mobile devices. It takes much less power. How much less? It could see your mobile CPUs using 60% less power. So that the new awesome Snapdragons, the Snapdragon 800s, you see them, uh, last year's LG G2 has them, the Samsung Galaxy S4 I think had it, the S5 has the new 805 when it comes out, or is it an 801? Anyway. 801. Yeah, the 800 series Snapdragons already sip power. They can last forever. Well now imagine a smartphone that is faster than most home computers were a couple years ago that can run a week. That is awesome. Okay, that's not just awesome from like a convenience standpoint, but that's like less energy bills, that's less pollution. If we could get all computers to run like this, I that would just be incredible. And not just that, MRAM is also non-volatile. Uh, and what that means is most, most RAM, uh, an L2 cache, L1 cache, is volatile, meaning when you turn your computer off, you lose all that data. So that that's why your computer needs to go through a boot up process every time you turn it on. MRAM well, and is a shutdown process. And the shutdown process. MRAM is non-volatile, which means that potentially a computer could always be in hibernate mode when you turn it off. You turn it back on, it automatically knows exactly where it was, doesn't need a boot up process. The only time you'll need a boot up process after this is if you update your hardware or They'll reinitialize the OS or something. Yeah. Theoretically, conceivably, this means that your computer could be mid-calculation when you shut it off. And it won't care. It'll pick right back up 
where you left off. Yep. And uh, this is this is one step closer to universal memory, and this is why I geeked out about it so much. Um, there's this theoretical idea in computer uh, terminology called universal memory, where um, all the different types of memory you have on your computer, your hard drive, your RAM, your cache, is all on the same device, um, reading at the same rate for everything, um, writing at the same rate. Um, and and this is just one step closer to that for the ultimate computer. So all of, all of the points we have as memory read and write at different speeds, and it creates bottlenecks, and it's just not fun. <laughs> I just can't wait for Google's satellite network to start using this technology. <laughs> to hack our AIs. With worms. And 13-year-old boy chatbots. That sounded but inappropriate. Yes, it did. <laughs> so I, but I, I, I was committed. I had to keep going. I, I realized that this is the joke's not out there. Well. I better say it. I better say the joke. It may fall flat, <laughs> but I'm already there. Yep. Uh, all right. Our, our last little bit of headline here, and this is completely out of the tech area. I'm sure Squishy will talk about it when he returns to the air next week. Um, by the way, no new scam show this week. So you probably already noticed that because a new one hasn't come out, and we did. Anyway, just today, new news came out about the Justice League. The hot rumor is, and this is being picked up by everyone. I mean, this isn't just a rumor. This seems to be confirmed. This is the the roadmap that DC has set before it. There is going to be a Justice League movie coming out in 2017. The same year, they're coming out with a Wonder Woman movie and a Flash and Green Lantern crossover movie. Now, a lot of people, when they announced Batman vs. Superman for 2015... Everyone was excited, and then they pushed it back to 2016, and everyone goes into panic mode thinking, oh, no, this movie's in trouble. Well, the reason that they allegedly pushed it back, or the alleged reason that they pushed it back, is that it's going to be launching point for all these other movies. They're going to have that same year a Shazam movie, a Sandman movie, the next year, as you just mentioned, Zook, Justice League, Wonder Woman, and a Flash and Green Lantern team-up. And then in 2018, we get another Man of Steel movie. Interestingly, they name it Man of Steel 2. Yes. Everyone assumed the Batman versus Superman was Man of Steel 2. Yeah. That's not the case here. The thing that has me most excited about this, though, is that they're saying that Ryan Reynolds will not be playing Green Lantern. Yes. I'm okay with that. I never was on board with him as Green Lantern to begin with. Now, I have a question. Okay. And I love DC. I'm a DC fan at heart more than I am Marvel, though I love the Marvel Marvel movies. The question is, do you do we honestly think DC can do this? No. <laughs> Thank no. you. Okay, I just wanted to make sure we were on board there. They're going to try. <laughs> They're going to try. They'll they'll come out with I think, you know, Batman versus Superman is good. Shazam, really? I mean, first of all, it's Captain Marvel. But let's not get started on that. But, I mean, really, are people crying for a Shazam movie? I don't know. I don't think anyone could do Shazam better than Shaq did. <laughs> You're trolling I now. I am I, totally I, trolling. I, 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 don't even trolling. Know how, I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> okay, let's put it this way. Marvel doesn't try to put out three big A-list movies a year. Marvel, with all of their many, many successes and Disney backing them, can't do this. 
Okay. DC couldn't put out a good movie every few years before now. What makes them think they can get three good ones a year out? Well, you know, Marvel's doing okay this year. We've had Captain America, and we're going to have Guardians of the Galaxy, which I expect to be a complete failure, but I think it's going to be fun and a good movie. I just think people don't know who Guardians of the Galaxy are, so why care? But um, It doesn't matter if they have a cute raccoon, so... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but I just I don't understand why Warner Brothers in DC thinks that they can can pull this off. I mean, that's a lot of movies in three years. That's seven movies that they're looking to announce in three years, and they've been yeah. working on a Wonder Woman movie since like the dawn of man. Yeah, I don't see it happening. I, I don't think either. But with that sad news out of the way, it is time for our favorites. Our favorites this week, I, I, I like. I like all three of them. But uh, mine comes from a uh, show, and I don't even know the name of the show. It's from Comedy Central. We, we've seen this guy do a lot of different... Um, I think his favorite one is Charles Xavier firing different members of the X-Men for being completely worthless. Pete Holmes, oh, that's his name. Pete Holmes, yeah. Yeah. I typically don't actually like many of his skits, because I think he goes a little too over the top. But in this one... Uh, he plays the straight man, and it is hilarious. He is an accountant who has had to call Mr. M. Bison down to his office uh, just to explain that maybe having an international street fighting tournament isn't the most financially secure decision he's made. Uh, and there's just there's just a lot of it that, for instance, do we really need to destroy a fully loaded Mercedes-Benz S-Class every three rounds? Couldn't we get like a used Volvo or something or, you know, a junkyard car? Wouldn't that be better? Do we really need to fly every single one of these fighters out to all eight different host countries? Don't forget the temple with the elephants. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the elephant trainers, you know, that alone is actually quite funny because you realize just how ridiculously stupid the premise of Street Fighter is. And in the end, they decide to do it in Atlanta, where there's already a lot of street fighting going on. He's fairly certain no one will even notice. (laughs) My favorite this week, uh, I really like because it's not me that it's happening to. to. But Enter the Dojo Show uh, on YouTube has uh, celebrated their 100th upload to YouTube. So Master Ken demonstrates around a hundred ways to destroy your opponent's groin. And he's a biter. I, yeah, it's, it's kind of unnerving to watch. However, it is still entertaining and I couldn't stop watching it once I started. So check it out. Uh, my favorite, uh, comes to us from Scott Manley. Um, you might know his name. There's a fake uh, name if ever I heard one. <laughs> uh, no, it, <laughs> um, just look up a uh, Kerbal Space Program. You'll you'll know who I'm talking about. Um, and uh, he comes out with a a video uh, every once in a while called Asteroid Discovery. He just updated again um, for t- uh, 2014, where he animates all the asteroids we've discovered since 1980, um, and it's it's terrifying. <laughs> I, I mean, he, he does ad- exaggerate the size of the asteroids uh, so that you can see them on the animation, but just the amount of asteroids we've discovered and to see them visually is, is pretty awesome and terrifying. So check it out. I think a lot of guys exaggerate when it comes to size. So, Well, if, if your choice is either not seeing it or exaggerate the size, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> just ask the dinosaur. Size doesn't matter. That was relatively a small asteroid. 
All right. Well, that is our show this week. Again, we love feedback. Feedback at StolenDroids.com. Please visit FamineFighters.com and be sure to let me know when you donate so I can enter you into a drawing for one of these awesome miniatures. Uh, until next time, cheers. End of line. Good day. This has been a Stolen Droids Media Production.